Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how is it going? And today we're talking about Mary Poppins, the original from 1964. This is an American-British live-action animated period piece fantasy film musical Disney classic. Directed by Robert Stevenson. Who also directed The Love Bug and Old Yeller, also classics, you know, pretty uh, renowned director. He's also directed tons of other stuff that I don't recognize <laughs> that I'm sure other people would recognize. Um, our cast includes Mary Poppins, uh, Rob Petrie, Karen Dotries, Matthew Garber, The Mad Hatter, and Navkid Keed. I watched this movie on Disney+. Plus. How did you watch it, Joey? I watched this on a actual physical DVD from 2005. And the reason I know it's from 2005 is because there's a bunch of unskippable ads before it for Disney movies that came out in 2005, including <laughs> um, uh, Pooh's Huffleup movie, uh, Mulan 2, and uh, D Princess Diaries 2. Oh, wow. Where, Ju so where Julie Andrews herself, Mary Poppins, uh, surfs down a mattress in a, in a big slide. Epic. Well, that sounds like a sequels, almost exclusively sequels DVD besides Mary Poppins. There was like, the, I don't know if you remember, but there was this kind of area like between the like Disney renaissance of animation with like Pocahontas and Little Mermaid and Mulan and then like the modern day 3D animation with like Tangled and Frozen and stuff where like Disney movies were just like sequels and like yeah hey we're we gonna keep doing the thing we've been doing like nobody has any good ideas and that was like from 2000 to like like 2010 basically <laughs> no i remember um like lion king one and a half is like the epitome yes. of <laughs> disney sequels <laughs> they don't even stick to the like plus one it's like this one's just half a movie yeah yeah <laughs> well i was, was i remember though. reading something about um Mar mary poppins being like one of the first disney um dvds yeah it said it, uh, on october 28 1994 uh it was re-released three times as part of the walt disney masterpiece collection in 1998 this film became disney's first dvd uh, really yeah which is you know I, that's it, interesting because it's not the first movie you know they didn't do it in order then snow white was like the first movie from it from disney i think okay um, well, it says it was released on VHS, Betamax, CED, and Laserdisc in 1980. So mm. obviously, but um, you know, it's Wikipedia. So you know, take the trust that as far as you, you want. Um, Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for Mary Poppins? In this wild and wonderful tale, a British nanny of legend dispenses wisdom in between displays of magic. That's Mary Poppins. We'll go ahead and get into it with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about this movie? Why can't I stop crying? Uh, this, this movie is absolutely beautiful. It's wonderful and magical and full of so much joy, love, and life. It feels like something just so complete. Um, and it conveys something so hard to say. Um, the world from the eyes of the child and the magic and opportunity that exists around every corner. Everything about this movie is perfect. I don't even need to list every, like all the things that are perfect. Yeah. Just everything is. Name a thing. It's perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this movie's magical. It's got great music, um, both from like a like a musical perspective and kind of like the like orchestral background music that's always in Disney movies. Um, the acting is great. 
they picked some like the casting and acting is great, especially uh, oh, yeah. Mary Poppins and Bert. Um, the effects are amazing. Uh, like the especially when you think about when this movie came out, um, and then yeah, lots of good life lessons and advice uh, sprinkled throughout. Um, so what about cons, Joey? Well, let me let me go first on cons. Let, let me just skip the cons section. How about we do that? Well, <laughs> there's no need for cons. So, is this um do, does having no cons mean this is like the perfect movie? Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's high praise. I um in my opinion, this movie was a bit long. Um, and there's nothing wrong with making a movie that's long. Um, looking back, like after I finished it, I was like, dang, that was long. But then after like scrubbing through and, and like going back and being like, what could I have gotten rid of? I didn't really feel like there's anything I would have gotten rid of entirely. I just feel like there were times where sequences lingered a little bit longer than I would have preferred them. Like for instance, again, it was awesome, but like the penguin dancing scene, I was like, okay, maybe we could have done more with less here. Um, and in addition to the, um, and additionally, I think the uh, rooftop um, chimney sweep song and dance, again, loved it. Great choreography. But at a certain point, I was like, maybe this could have ended a few minutes or maybe many <laughs> minutes earlier. Um, but that's just that's just my opinion. Otherwise, I, yeah, I don't really have yeah, a whole yeah, lot. Yeah, of... and your opinion's wrong. So Sure, sure. And uh, I, I think there were at times, I was surprised with how long this film was. Um, it, when you've got this much magic, it's hard. I feel like it's hard to hold back. Um, but well, yeah, well, see, the thing is like, even in those sequences that you described, yeah, they, they kind of drag on, but you like, you have to realize what you're seeing in front of you, right? This is like live action and animated things interacting with each other, basically seamlessly. It's incredible. You know, it, I, you would be so hard, so hard to do that today. Uh, with people in dressed in green screen suits and things like that, like trying to pretend that things are real. You see that happen expertly here, where you actually believe that our animated penguins dancing with Dick Van Dyke. And so when it, when it continues on past the point of like, okay, I get it. It's like, oh, wait, this is still happening. Like they still put in all that extra work to make it to that point. Same thing with the chimney sweep thing. All of those guys, like all dancing in time. And they had that crazy set with all those gaps in like weird chimney features and like slopes and stuff. Like how did they build that? How did they choreograph all that stuff that interact with the actual environment like that? It's incredible. So no, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's um, I'm pointing it's at you not, aggressively. <laughs> I, I listen. I, I love. I think those scenes are great. I'm just saying, um, there's a potential to to do a little bit more with less. That's my opinion. Um, since you don't have any cons, we'll go ahead and move on to the next section, which is our overall section. Um, and Joey, why don't you take it away? Honestly, like, who are we to talk about this movie at all? Um, I feel so like inadequate even talking about the things I liked. Uh, and I don't really have a desire to like dive into like or nitpick this movie in any sort of direction. I don't feel like I am in a, any position to do that. But I do want to talk a little bit about some of the things that I liked and, and how it accomplishes that so effectively, I think. Mary Poppins, the story, um, t is a story about a family and two children whose parents aren't around as much as they would like to be, um, an ideological mother with grand plans, uh, and a father who thinks that work and consistency are the things that matter more than anything else. As I've kind of framed it here, it's pretty clear that the children are the sympathetic ones. And this is certainly a kid-friendly movie, but ultimately this is a story with a really important lesson for parents. 
and a lesson that every child knows, even if they can't articulate it. In that way, this movie gives a voice to a sort of abstract and ephemeral idea that the idea that magic really does exist and that it's easier for children to find that magic in a world that often seems to lack exactly that. But it also answers the question of why is that and how do adults capture that? This idea, I think, is so powerful, and it's the thing that Walt Disney built his parks on, this idea that you can capture magic in the real world and display it for people to enjoy. Um, and it's really hard to put into words, I think, exactly what that feeling is, which is why this movie is so important. Because for me, Joey, the cynical podcaster, the viewer, the savvy, critical, and woke person full of skeptical <laughs> and rational thought is totally immune to the charms of such a, a whimsical movie, right? But like, it simply can't be that magic really exists or that it's a real thing. But actually, on the contrary, right, I should just be miserable because everything sucks so much all the time. But then you're watching this movie. Katie Nana gets quits. The, the children write that advertisement. And who should arrive but the most beautiful and charming person to ever exist, Julie Andrews. Um, instantly, things start to change and weird things start to happen. And the movie at this point has already shown that strange goings on at the Banks house is normal and that you should be in for a bit of whimsy. I assume but, you're referring to the uh, when the cannons go off and everything flies around the oh house. Oh my God, I freaking love that scene. That was that such was, a what? hilarious bit. I, I, I know, so kept coming back. Like, yes. it was supposed to be, because, uh, yeah, I have I have my questions. I'll let you continue in a minute. But I, is no, that what you're referring yeah. to? That kind of uh, <laughs> almost... Yes. So I love that so much, especially when they're like, okay, we're prepared for this. But they really aren't. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're, they're grabbing as much as they can. But that's not even enough. Everything's, like, shifting around. The piano's already moving. Yeah, and Mr. That one part Mr. Banks' problem with the piano flying across the room and hitting him isn't that the piano did that. It's that it's out of tune. And he doesn't even play the piano. <laughs> exactly. It just rests his tea on the piano as it comes to him and then picks it up as it moves away. <laughs> or when he's adjusting his tie in the mirror and the mirror is still swinging. Oh, it's so freaking hilarious. That and the uh, when all the nannies blow away, I think, is like all clues that like what this what the tone of this movie is going to be. Um, but uh, like. I think it, 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 it goes up to another level as soon as Mary Poppins arrives. And as soon as she starts bringing things out of that carpet bag, and, it starts to, and she starts to do things that are more than just like, oh, that's kind of a neat trick. It becomes something else. I fell right into the movie as if I was falling into a chalk painting in the park. Like, were you, like I was watching so carefully with her pulling the stuff out of the bag. I mean, we're going to talk about the special effects more in a minute. But like, there's that part... That like where first of all she pulls something out of the bag you're like okay obviously the table has a false bottom right like there's a there's some sort of mirror or like maybe the green screened out the bottom and she's pulling like the, there's a hole in the bottom of the bag and she's pulling stuff out of it but then Michael is under the table and then she moves the bag and then pulls something out of it it doesn't cut between that how is that even possible <laughs> right is there a trap door in the in the table I don't know but it, like. The fact that they like put that in subtly to be like, hey, you think you know how this works, but that's not how it works, just adds to that level of mystery and mag like magicalness that is Mary Poppins. And it helps bring me, someone who thinks he knows better, into this movie uh, even further. And for me to really like become invested in this in a way that like uh, just really touches my heart. 
Um, so, so many, like so many other great movies we talked about on this podcast, um, I was really swept away by this journey and I didn't even notice the amount of subtle and incredible work that must have gone on uh, to make all these scenes possible. Something that I noticed right away was when she's in the clouds and she's like, drinking her tea and she has her bag and her umbrella and how they keep sinking into the clouds so she has to keep adjusting them. It's like, like why did they do that? Like, <laughs> like just to make it seem like she was born in a cloud? Like, it's crazy. And Yeah, no, I that one actually really surprised me, especially because early on, I don't know if it looked this way on the DVD, but on Disney+, Plus, early on, it really looked grainy. Like the very beginning mm. of it was extremely grainy, as like the cloud scene, which you can appreciate the special effects. But I was like, why is it so? Um, like it, it looked like it had been like digitally remastered in some way or something. Yeah, um, probably has. But it wasn't that way throughout. I, I was actually kind of curious why that first scene looked a little bit different. Um, but there was so much where I was like, this is insane that this came out so long ago. Right. Because it I know. it does still hold up in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I think it's probably even more impressive than a lot of today's special effects, just because they were so limited by the kind of things they could do. Um, I mean, this movie actually pioneered all sorts of different special effects, uh, but in, which went on to revolutionize the movie industry as a whole. But I, I think there's so much about this technically that is so impressive, and it's all hidden in the background, and it just helps to serve the narrative, right? And I think that's something that this movie, I think that's the reason why this movie stands out more than anything else. Like it's beyond the great acting, singing, directing, cinematography. I mean, let's just mention that like if you had to, if you wanted to be an actor during this time period, you had to be way more talented than you have to be now, right? You have to be able to <laughs> tap dance, sing, and act all at once. Like, come on! I was watching. Uh, I watched uh, Singing in the Rain for the first time recently, and like I got all that same feeling when I was watching Gene Kelly. Like he looks just like Ben Affleck, but. I don't know if Ben Affleck can sing and tap dance the way Gene, Gene <laughs> Kelly could. You know, it's just like it's just you'd be way more of like a well-rounded person, I think. Um, yeah, no, I in mean this it's, kind of era of Hollywood. Yeah, no, I mean Dick Van Dyke and Julie Andrews are just they're so they're so performative in their roles. Like it, it's like oh yeah, it's it makes so much sense that they're movie stars in this era. Oh yeah, and they transcend this movie. Um, but beyond even all of that, right? This movie is. It's focused on this pervasive and perspective-changing idea that magic really exists, and it comes from the belief that you can make the world a little less worse just by believing you can. And all you require, and if you require proof that this of this idea in action, all you have to look is at this movie itself. There you go. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. No, I think that's beautiful. It's uh, the right way to look at it because... Um, you know, at its base, like uh, there was something about just the um, before I seen it, you know, I knew the story of Mary Poppins and I always thought about what makes this movie so integral. You know, it's not a relatable experience for me to have a nanny. It's like, oh, right. we all have that. Uh, you remember like when our parents fired the other nanny or she quit because we were <laughs> such rotten kids. And then you ended up with like the best nanny you ever had. How relatable. I'm like, that's not I'm not even British. Um, but that's all those things are just peripheral uh, to what this movie is really trying to you know get across. I mean, what was clear to me, um, and I think it is because you you had seen this before, right? No, I had never seen this before. Really? Okay, so both of us on our first viewing experience because I I had seen um, I had like those Disney musical VHSs when I was a kid, so I had seen like the um, the penguins dancing and 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 other scenes from this 
um, movie because of you know seeing them in scenes, but I'd never watched the movie from front to back. Um, and what really shined across to me is like, this is Disney magic. This is like so. Now, this is Disney magic. It is. It's this. This is a shining example of what is at the core. What I believe is at the core of Disney's success, which is bringing an unmatched level of magic and whimsy to the masses. You know, this is so. Um, and and it, like in all the things that we were saying, like the special effects, the color, the the costumes, the um, the lighting, like everything about this is just brings this. It's bright, it pops, and it's it's just magic. And you want to spend more time in this world that they create. Um, and and Mary Poppins does that so well. Like we've kind of talked about it, but like the like the carpet bag tricks, like the live action mixed with animation, um, like the the way that they fly around the room when they're laughing. Um, yeah. Or just in like between the, other... Like, it's like, um, what's that movie? The Wire Foo movie. Um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Like, of like amount of like wire wire mechanic stuff going on in this movie. There's so many people like with on on wires being hoisted into the air. It's crazy. Yeah, and there's something about it being I don't know. It's not the right word, but it's like it, it's just something about it being somewhat analog that makes it still hold up today. Where yes, um, another movie where its special effects may eventually become outdated, and you're like, okay, these computer graphics are not good because these are so you know still so analog. They still hold up where you're like, ah, there's they that person actually is flying around that room, so that works. Like it still gets the right. same effect across where it seems because you can't see the wires, it still seems magical. Um even Yeah, if- but like what about when they're like in the what about when they're in uh, Uncle Albert's house, right? And yes. they're all floating around and he's like turning around upside down and like while other people are right side up. Like like it's not just that he's like they they took they took a video of him and then turned him upside down. Like he's bobbing and like weightless like how do they do that yeah and it it looks great you know it's so um yeah it's so gentle and he's like floating around and he's he's like so clearly an old guy but it seems to be so effortless and um fun for him to fly around i I really did like uncle albert i i'd heard of uncle albert before i'd heard him referenced but never knew even remotely who he is um and i do like the idea of um of who he is um we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute but um I don't know, just like all these things, they're still fun today, but like we've said, it's so cutting edge for the time period. So to think about watching this in the cinema in the 60s must have been mind-blowing to see all these amazing effects pulled off so well. Um, Although, am I even, yeah, this would would have come out in a cinema, right? (laughs) Absolutely. It was was released, uh, I was actually released in theaters three times. Dang, yeah. So, um, but just... Even if you remove like the uh, like the ideas behind Mary Poppins to kind of bind this whole thing together, being capable of doing these special effects for me is reason enough to make a movie. Um, and and they really you know ha- and they really pull that off um, well. Right, but like then you think about like something like Mad Max Fury Road, right, which is like a really effects driven movie, lots of practical stunts, lots of like insane choreograph uh, choreography just across the entire movie like non-stop right but it doesn't have the heart or message that this movie has you know this movie has that plus yeah. extra yeah. right it, it's everything stacked on top of each other and all pointed toward the same thing which i think is incredible it's just like an incredible amount of dedication to something um i, I like the idea of watching mary poppins i mean like wow i haven't seen 
special effects like this since Mad Max. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you're so right. Um, I mean, one of those, uh, you know, another thing they do spectacularly well, like we've said, is the casting. Julie Andrews is amazing. She's such a professional, um, which makes sense because she's supposed to be this legendary, like top tier nanny who doesn't even need recommendations. Like she's just perfect. Um, yeah. She's beautiful. She's charming. She's funny. She's stern, but not too stern. Being stern is important when you're a nanny. Um, I mean, she's also, yeah, she's beautiful, not just like, I don't know. Ob- is, Aesthetically. Can, can, can beauty be objective? Like she is like objectively beautiful, but also everyone in the, in the movie is has the hots for Mary Poppins as well. Yes. Like, <laughs> no, she's got like a certain vanity to her, which I think is funny. Uh, like everyone tells her that she's great and she's like, she acts like, oh, it's not a big deal, but that's just part of her like thing of, is like she pretends to be humble because she really does believe she's the best. Yes. And uh, there's something that comes with that though, because I feel like the, the, like the role of being a nanny comes with uh, certain uh, pejorative qualities like for instance, being maybe old or maybe even unwanted as like a you know it's like why aren't you taking care of your own kids? Um, sure. But Mary Poppins destroys that. She's like actually everyone would want me to be their uh, yeah. Their well, she's GF. like she's almost beyond like a character, right? She's she's kind of just like a legend in a way. Yeah. And this and I mean speaking from the perspective of a person who exists in the world, right? You hear about Mary Poppins and then you watch the movie. You're like, okay, like this is the person. But even within the the, the movie, she kind of exists outside of it, yeah, right? Yeah, it's the She's more of like an idea or an ideal that's being fulfilled by or projected to us by Julie Andrews than she is like even a character within a movie. It's, I mean... To yeah. to even make me think that's the thing, I think is crazy. <laughs> um, well, I was just honestly, um, they they really do push. I, I just thought it was interesting. I noticed how much they push this like beauty aspect of her as well. Because like yes. those those penguins were so horny for Mary Poppins, dude. <laughs> like I was, <laughs> they were that one guy who got to kiss her on the cheek. It was like, dang, dude, this is from a different time. Um, but. Julie Andrews is amazing. Another thing Julie Andrews does really well is sing, uh, which in a musical is pretty important. Um, but, you know, the, the songs already are amazing, but, uh, you know, her voice is so easy to listen to. Um, and, and this movie, in in addition to something that a lot of kids have probably seen uh, or, or people my age has probably seen, um, everyone's probably seen, uh, is The Sound of Music, uh, another yeah. one where Julie Andrews gets to use her voice, and she's very uh you know highly regarded for that role and it's easy to see why she's so highly regarded as an actress um because this like the sound of music this uh movie really relies uh heavily on her ability to be the main woman and she does that so well like a true movie star absolutely you know she's I don't know if she has the majority singing I feel like I think Dick Van Dyke I think has more songs but she's um but she carries that so well, right? And you never doubt for a second. And then she just launches into song on a whim, basically, right? It's always there. Well, and especially songs uh, that um, don't give her a lot to hide behind, like the Tuppence uh, song, where it's yeah. basically just her crooning. Um, and, I mean, the the lullabies in this uh, musical were fantastic as well. Um, right. And 
that relies heavily on her voice. So she did really well. But I, I'm glad you bring up Dick Van Dyke because uh, he also was so much fun in his supporting roles, <laughs> uh, multiple roles as Bert and uh, also the chairman, uh, the senior Mr. Dawes. Um, Mr. Dawes. He's just. I recognized him immediately just by his mannerisms. I, I couldn't see it in his face. Yes. But as soon as he came out there and started being wobbly, I'm like, I think that's Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> yes. No, that's how I felt too. I didn't know. I had to look uh, at, you know, IMDb. But yeah, um, the, yeah the, the way that he, especially when he's like, when the, uh, when the Bank of England uh, stands, like we all stand. Uh, like the Bank of England falls. Yeah, he starts leaning fall. over. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's so high energy and expressive. Like this honestly makes me want to check out the Dick Van Dyke show uh, because I'm I don't haven't seen it, but it seems like this is the type of guy you would actually make a show around you know like um you know like a a, he's so high energy and expressive he's got this face that almost looks like and i mean this in a totally positive way he almost looks like a caricature of like a star like a a movie star you know yeah his his features are so exaggerated in a way that makes him just interesting to look at and when he contorts his face and uh and is expressive it goes beyond what you know what you might expect and i think that's perfect for what he his role as like this adult child almost with uh you know his uh, imagination is still alive as a like because he's an artist you know Um, right and i and i i didn't expect that out of any other characters besides mary poppins like i'm surprised it's not some sort of like I mean, I'm not surprised, but, you know, you could have made the angle for, like, some sort of, like, Mary Poppins and Friends or, like, Mary Mm. Poppins and Bert or something. I mean, you'd have to give him maybe a more interesting name than just Bert if he was going to be in the title. But (laughs) but he carries, he brings in his, uh, like, a level of magic that was totally unexpected for me. Thinking this yeah, is just well, be he about makes her. it he makes it extra real, right? If it was just weird things happened when Mary Poppins was around, then it would just be her, right? And that's certainly kind of true. But he's like, oh, I know about her. I know the legend of Mary Poppins, right? And I know what she's capable of, right? And kind of, kind of goads or pushes her toward showing off more, right? And showing that there is all this magic just hidden beneath the surface um and because he knows it's already there um and he's like he knows what to ask for i guess right it- in that way he's kind of our guide through the movie right at the very beginning he starts off with that song about the people in the town and he has that like oh man i love that part where he stops and like when the wind changes and he's like there's something about to begin it's awesome oh yeah uh, oh man and- now i remember that <laughs> well he also absolutely demolishes the fourth wall <laughs> um, which I, I thought was an interesting choice. And then it kind of like doesn't come back to that. Um, not that it needs to, but it, I, I kind of forgot that it even happened. He just smashes yeah. the fourth wall to get us into it. Yeah, exactly. And he, and he brings, he's our guide, right? And so he knows what's going to happen, even though he doesn't really have any like magical powers of his own. So he's going to show us what's possible, right? He, he's already familiar with this world. So I, I, I think that's great. I think that's a really interesting narrative choice yeah it makes Um, sense And dick van dyke is so perfect for it because he's such a multifaceted actor yeah well it makes sense that he would be familiar with it already because of the nature of uh mary poppins like work where she shows up temporarily and there's probably a whole mess of kids who have had their lives um improved through a brief stint with mary poppins as their nanny 
So, um, so yeah, Dick Van Dyke's great. Um, also, the music in this film is strong. I, I think a lot of people, whether you've seen Mary Poppins or not, recognize a lot of music from Mary Poppins. Um, and like, like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, um, Chim Chimini, I don't know what the name of that song is, but yeah, it's Tim Chimery True or something. Yeah, that one is very recognizable. But there's also many songs that I'd never heard before that I really enjoyed, like Fidelity Fiduciary Bank. That one. Yes, I love that. I love the bank song. <laughs> I I actually I love hearing. I don't know if this is gonna come out right, but like I love songs about like smart commerce. Because um, like, <laughs> like, we talked about it a little bit in our uh, Muppets Christmas Carol episode, but there's a song that didn't make it to the to the final version of that movie that's um, sung by Scrooge's professor, and it's all about being a. Uh, it's called Chairman of the Board, and it's about being smart in the way you go about business so that you can be successful. And I, even though that song would contradict the message of that movie it's still a good song just like this one also kind of contradicts the message um but it's uh, it's fun to listen to these like you know oldsters who are all like so agreeing with themselves on how oh smart God. it is to invest <laughs> my favorite thing okay i i think that song is so fun um and my favorite thing for sure is when they have the kind of instrumental break and they all just walk in circles, uh, <laughs> nodding at each other, holding their coattails. Like that's what I imagine the like the corporate offices of every big business in the in the U.S. does. You know, it's just a bunch of old guys in suits, walking in circles, nodding to each other, and be like, "Yes, we're very successful." Yes. Oh yeah, and and like all the things that they're talking to this kid about, like where they just assume that the like things that they're endorsing are inherently. You know, right. you're going to agree with this. Like you can invest in uh, like the, I don't remember exactly what he says. He's like, you can invest in something like first deed, second deed. Think of the foreclosures, you know, like yes. just oh my think God. of the foreclosures, young man. Um, you're tough. No, I love that, that so much. Yeah. But he talks about like the warships. Right. And um, the plantations full of tea, not railways through Africa, dams across the Nile. Like it's it's interesting. The things they choose. Right. They're all these like great engineering marvels in a way and they're kind of beautiful and i guess in, in a way but they're also kind of destructive of nature as well yeah like it it's i wonder like how purposeful those those were chosen if those are things that banks are normally known to invest in or if it's something there's some other greater message there about like the damage done to some sort of system by some sort of system like this well, I think, I don't know, it's tough because depending on how imperialist you are and how capitalist mm. you are, you could see this as like a very good endorsement of what's going on there because um, it, it is interesting how just by giving your money to the bank, you're, you know, in a sense, a part of all these worldwide projects, um, yeah. which is cool to think about, you know? Right. He says at the end that you're like, you're part of the family, right? right. You're like, you're invested in these you're you're part of the stakeholder toward a greater civilization in a way. Sure, but like, but I also, yeah. You know, what are the implications of that? Well, <laughs> you could also argue, yeah. It's like, what? Are, first off, what are the implications? And second off, what is your money not going to instead? Uh, mm. Because you could argue that even though it's not doing any sort of like marvel of engineering, you, giving your tuppence to the local bread bag maker. Um, could be a better investment as far as just furthering a better world in your immediate surroundings. Right. Maybe that money will actually go further to helping a single person. Right. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like it goes towards some, a single person or just like the direct result of, you know, 
having this community where we, you know, keeping that money here. I, I don't know if I want to make some sort of like macroeconomic argument, but um, I, I think it's interesting the juxtaposition between like this huge uh, banking system that you could be a part of, or you can invest your money directly into something locally. Um, I think it is very intentional what they choose to bring up as mm. examples. All from tuppence fruitfully prudently <laughs> frugally invested in the to be specific in the dos tomes mousley groves fidelity fiduciary bank <laughs> honestly if my local bank Love had it. a song like that <laughs> maybe man maybe uh but that's a great Shove and take my money <laughs> that's a great song that like you said like the um well, like we referred to the word tuppence, the song about tuppence sung by Julie Andrews is very beautiful. Um, it's it's a um, I'm surprised I had never heard of the word tuppence before because that song ended up being so good. Um, the right. the anti sleep lullaby. I, that's what I called it. I don't know what it's actually called, but it's this lullaby about not being sleepy, um, which is so it's just yeah, a yeah. fun idea. It's one of those things where like. Like you can only, I feel like you can only really do that once, you know, ever like have a lullaby. <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, it's like have a lullaby that's about not being sleepy. And then after that, everything that has that same message is derivative of that, uh, that other lullaby. It's such a, mm. like a base idea where it's like, what if we made a song that makes you sleepy by the sound of it, but the words are all anti that, you know? And this movie, this is something that I always, like, I try to point out, because he can't know, there's so much media, but I I try to point out, it's like, okay, that was, you thought of it first, so you're able to pull it off. (laughs) I see. Everything after this is kind of just derivative of what you've done, even though it's such, it's kind of such a simple idea. I mean, it's just like reverse psychology, right? It's a classic thing. Like, that's something my, my mom used to say to me when I was little was, don't smile, don't smile, like, (laughs) whenever I was upset, and it always worked, (laughs) I remember it being very funny. Right, and and it is something that I feel like would definitely work on kids, Um, so that that works as well, but I I don't know, I just want to appreciate that lullaby for what it was, uh, as this anti-sleep lullaby, reverse psychology (laughs) lullaby. Um, Another song that I thought was really great was the um, I Love to Laugh, featuring um, Uncle Albert, um, mainly because I just, I agree with the sentiment. I love to laugh, dude. There's nothing better. I mean, okay. one of my favorite experiences in life is when you're laughing so hard that you can't breathe and you start crying and like doing that with other people <laughs> is the best. That is one of my favorite experiences ever. Um, whenever that happens, I always try to take a moment and be like, ah, yeah, good. I'm crying cause I'm laughing. Good so laugh. Hard. That's so good. Um, Cause it's hard to get there sometimes. And that song is kind of the essence of that um, as well as just being whimsical. So I, I, like I said, I'd never heard of uncle Albert and I ended up loving that song. Um, so even though this movie is famous for having so many or is well known still and highly regarded and plenty of these songs continue to live on. I, I learned supercalifragilisticexpialidocious in my elementary school chorus class. Um, you know, all that stuff. It, it has earned that, but maybe even deserves more, you know, maybe some of these other songs should also continue, uh, being more popular because they're all so good. Um, one thing I had to, I, I have a question about that. I, um, you know, I hope that you can answer, but it's okay if you can't, what was the point of Admiral boom? 
Why did that guy? <laughs> why was his house a boat? What, what, what is the what? Because he's an admiral, obviously. What is the commentary there? Why do they have like? Why do they have to wash their windows with a like a rowboat that is on the side? Like it's because <laughs> that's what you do on a boat, right? But I, I get it. His house like a boat. I get that there's like a it's whimsical <laughs> and, and very naval, you know, themed. But yeah, what? what how does that incorporate? How does that tie in? I think it's just like. For me, it's like, um, Mr. Banks is like, he thinks of himself as like the king or the lord of his house, right? And how his house is like his own personal castle um, within like this own country, right? And I think a lot of people, especially kind of in the time that this movie is set, kind of felt that way about like how suddenly I have like the power or the wealth or whatever to act as if I was a king, right? But within the safety of a country that runs itself, basically. And like I participate in the civil activities, but like I am my own lord over my own area, which is something that's kind of been a foreign idea before, like in the Industrial Revolution. Huh. Um, so I think the boat thing kind of juxt like it's kind of next to that because he's like I'm the lord of my boat right I'm the king of this boat but I'm also within the structure of this suburb right I'm also the thing I'm also inside of it I think it also lends itself to a bit of like absurdity yeah. to juxtapose juxtapose I cannot say that word it's been what how many episodes I still can't can't say that freaking word <laughs> next to having um Admiral Boom next to uh uh, Mr. Banks makes Mr. Banks seem more absurd, right? Because it's like, oh, you think you're like a normal person who works at the bank, but like your neighbor's house is a boat. <laughs> you can't, you can't really be that serious of a person if, if you live next to a guy whose house is a boat. So, well, I think that's okay. And part, part of it, I mean, Admiral Boom also, like you said, he gets to choose how to run his household, just like Mr. Banks chooses how to run his, right? And right. There, there is this. There's room for uh, creativity in there. You can decide how you want to run things. There's not one set way, even though, um, you know, uh, Mr. Banks seems to have some sort of predisposition, some sort of uh, idea of how the house should run already in his head, whether that's right. totally correct or not. Um, okay, that's interesting. I also like that they he claims to basically set the time for the entire world because the world goes off of I Greenwich like Mean Time and the Greenwich Mean Time goes off of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's just part of the like the legend, right? And like like the kind of mythical nature of this story in a way is like they claim kind of absolutes, right? Right, uh, and say giving you that kind of. At the context is just like oh it's like a fun piece of trivia in a way right about these <laughs> legendary characters that exist within the framework of the story right okay well i think that's going to cover our overall let's go ahead and start with our cool easter eggs so my first easter egg sort of is about the special effects that go into this movie specifically the incredible array of matte paintings that uh, make up the backgrounds of this movie. So you may think that when they jump into the um, the chalk painting uh, in in the story and they're dancing with penguins and winning races and hunting foxes and singing with farm animals, that that background was the only animated background in the story. And you would be wrong because most of the backgrounds that you see, most of the impressive like structures you see in the background of this movie were huge matte 
paintings that people hand painted. All of that when they're looking over the like uh, uh, all of London, right at the at the end of the movie or near the end of the movie after they go on the roofs and they're um, they're seeing like the layout of London from at during night. That's like that's a painting. Uh, a lot of the scenes inside the bank, like when they're walking through the bank and stuff with the pillars and stuff, that's all like a matte painting that they they do some clever editing where they're walking next to it. And then they, before they cross over in front of it to make it to real for you to realize that it is a painting, they just cut. And there's all of these things that just are just perfectly seamless. It's incredible. It's a really amazing like work. And there's so many of these things that are used and reused and like repainted over possibly, or, or like uh, the, there's that part with the, um, uh, with the cathedral, right? All of that is a, a painting. They, it's not a physical location. And you can see like how they did that. They had like the stairs and they had the woman sitting on the stairs, but all the stuff in the background is all a painting. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. Is it, um, <laughs> as far as like the animation goes for Mary Poppins as well, um, this was back when they had to draw like each individual frame, right? Like by hand? Yeah, I believe so. Dang, that makes the, uh, you know... <laughs> Like my, you know, saying that the movie went on longer in that, in the, when they first jump into the chalk drawing, like, it's like, maybe you could have done less with that. It's like, maybe some tired animators would have agreed with me, but it's like, it makes it that much more, <laughs> makes it that much more valuable to be like, well, we went that extra mile, yes. put in all that extra effort. Um, also, something I wanted to say about jumping into the chalk drawings was Mary Poppins, like, walked so that Blue's Clues could run. Okay, because <laughs> the way that they jumped into the chalk drawing was exactly the same way that the blues could do. We can too. Do I mean I know that blues clues they do a spiral in, but it is like basically the same concept effect. And um, I, like I said, Mary Poppins walked so that blues clues could run. You know, another uh, you know just another uh, effect of this film, I think. So because blues clues is epic too. Yeah, a little Mary Poppins magic in there. <laughs> yeah who knows it's it's almost it's, i mean it's possible to know to track how much this movie has influenced you know other art basically uh, oh no but yes i mean i think that's true um in a completely um if we're being totally legitimate way but also in a facetious way um blues clues owes everything to mary poppins <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> i'm okay with that i mean think, i endorse okay, that. actually if you actually think about it though um Blue's Clues is like a very green screen movie where like a live action person interacts with yeah, animated yeah. characters. I'm just saying there's probably more to this idea. There's probably like a whole, <laughs> there's probably a whole YouTube, 10 minute YouTube video you could make about how Blue's Clues is literally Mary Poppins. But that's yeah, neither here Yeah, nor they're there. in the same universe or something. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um. Uh, I just want to mention this real quick. There are two words I learned, at least two words I learned while watching this movie. One of them was precocious, which they sing in the uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Yeah, what's song, that mean? I don't know what me that means. It, it means like uh, developed early in a way. Like you're like a prodigy. It's kind of oh. the, uh, the idea. Like normally it refers to children um, or, or you can also use it to refer to plants. Like it's blooming early. Okay. It's precocious. Um, or it's um, for children. It's like, oh, they're dis displaying a certain aptitude for some skill be before they their peers would. I so guess. you, so like the um, Walmart yodeling kid, you could refer to his career as a country singer as precocious. Well, you would refer to his skill as a yodeler as precocious. Okay. Specifically, good example, I think. <laughs> 
Also, the other word I learned was tuppence, which is it's kind of um, a like a combination of two words. Um, it's it, it's like comes from the from two pence, which was a actual coin back in England, like it was the two pence coin. Um, but basically, it just kind of means loose change or pennies. Like it's like what is your lowest like denomination of coin, but like in a um, uh, in like a colloquial sense, right? Like a couple of bucks or like a your loose change or like the change you have in your pocket or like I think I have a, like a couple quarters or something, you know, something like okay. that basically. Okay. It's it's like a it's like a uh non-specific amount of small change. Got it. Yeah, I actually looked um, that one up halfway through the movie. I didn't look up precocious, but I did stop and google the word tuppence just so I could find out. Uh, yeah, especially when they just kept saying it. <laughs> yeah, they use it so many times. <laughs> like, there's no way you could get by without knowing what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the context makes it pretty clear. Um, one thing I think was fun that I didn't really realize was that they actually end up saying supercalifragilistic expialidocious backwards. Although they, they kind of cheat at it. They actually just end up saying the, like the, cause it's supercalifragilistic expialidocious is kind of a combination of, um, prefixes and suffixes that are like mashed together. Uh -huh. So she ends up just kind of saying them in reverse order without actually reversing the words, except for, of course, super, which she says is rupus. Can you say this word? I can say supercalifragilistic expialidocious, but I don't know if I say the what other about, one. What about it backwards? You can't say it backwards? Dosi sally expialistic fragicaliripus. Dosi sally expialistic fragicaliripus. If you separate it out, it's a little easier to say. Yeah, yeah, the way you have it written here. Fragicaliripus. <laughs> <laughs> Docious Alley XP anyway, Fraggy Calid Rupus. Oh, I almost had it. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Doshi Alley Expialistic Fragicalirupus. That's um honestly Imagine being imagine writing this and then being Julia Andrews and having to sing it <laughs> for the first time, you know? Yeah, definitely a groundbreaking use of vocabulary here. I like did you I mean I learned about this word before Obviously, before seeing this movie, um, obviously it's from this movie, I think, but um, I yeah. I learned this one in chorus class, and honestly, without context, this like it's low key annoying. Like it's way more endearing <laughs> to learn this word as like the one word response to the press when uh, you know Mar the mythical Mary Poppins wins a horse race um, yes, by yes. politely asking if the people in front will let her pass. Um, <laughs> but, um, I definitely learned this song also, yeah, in, in chorus class. And I was like, what the heck is this word? This is <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. Like I remember learning about it and, and it's the, the word is like a tautology. It's the longest word and it's meant to be a word that you use to show how smart you are or that, you know, a long word, basically yeah. it has no meaning beyond the fact that it exists. Right. Which was so annoying because you have that kid who's like, <laughs> look, I know the longest word. Look. And it's like, all right, shut up. He's like, all right, but not really. <laughs> there is a longer word, by the way. It's like some sort of lung disease. It's 45 letters long, which I don't have written here because I, even trying to pronounce it would be a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, an important word that came out of this movie for sure. Um, Dociali expiastic fragicali rupus. That's right. I, um, another like 
vocab word I guess you could pull out of this movie is um my Easter egg, which would be uh, cashiering, which I I didn't know what this was, but I found out about it when I was reading about the scene where Mr. Banks gets uh, sacked by the bank. Um, also, come on, dude, being Mr. Banks and working at the bank, come on. <laughs> yeah, but then it would eventually, like, is the goal to eventually be... What's it? Chairman uh, Banks. The Dawes, Tomes, Mousley, Grubbs, Bank, <laughs> Banks, Fidelity, Fiduciary Bank. Like, come on. Yeah. But um, you almost can't work at a bank and be called Banks. Right. Actually, that's a good point. Well, the um, well, what's interesting is when he did get sacked, there was this kind of wordless uh, ritual that happened where they like took his flower off and punched a hole in his hat. And apparently that is what's, that was a ceremony of cashiering, um, which is the, it's a ritual dismissal of an individual from a position of responsibility for a breach of discipline, um, which I found out on Wikipedia, but that was what was going on there. Probably something a little bit more widely known about back then, or just, I don't know. Maybe it's still common. I, I'm not in the military, but it, it seemed totally absurd. Like not out of the realm of possibility for this movie. Yes, because the because they make the the, the bankers seem so silly, um, but like the way they do it so seriously and everything, and, the, and what they're doing just seems so ridiculous that I thought it was just a joke. But no, that makes sense. That it's a real right. thing. Right. It, it actually makes a lot more. I sense. I mean, maybe punching a hole through their hat is like supposed to be somewhat whimsical in this sense, but the idea of like publicly. Uh, disheveling somebody's appearance as a way mm. to dismiss them from an organization. That's called cashiering. And uh, cool. and it's a real thing. Very cool. Okay, do you want to move on to our quotes? Yes. And now it's time for Affable Chat Theater, where the host of Affable Chat will recreate audio portions of the movie without any of the burdens of production value or classical training. I have two quotes here. One of them, uh, it, I, I want to talk about the nanny advertisements from both the kids and the adults. And so I've omitted some of the stuff, like the interruptions in between. Um, uh, but for the most part, I have the full advertisements here, uh, which I will now recite for your enjoyment. So are you going to be, um, what's her name, Jane? Or I'm going to be Mr. Banks first. And then you can be Mrs. Banks. Well, because right okay. Here. Well, because I, I also could have I could be um, young. Uh, what's his name? No, you're gonna no. We haven't got there yet. But you're going to be Michael as well. Okay. <laughs> I've already decided. <laughs> Wanted, no required. Wait, wait. You know what? There's a better way to do this. Wanted, no required. Nanny, firm, respectable, no nonsense. A British nanny must be a general. The future empire lies within her hands. And the person that we need to mold the breed is a nanny who can give commands. British bank is full with precision. A British home requires nothing less. Tradition, discipline, and rules must be the tools. Without them, disorder, catastrophe, anarchy... In short, you have a ghastly mess. Splendid, George. Inspirational. The Times will be so pleased. <laughs> Freaking love, Winifred. 
Mrs. Banks is the best. Mrs. Banks. <laughs> so supportive. <laughs> She's so supportive. <laughs> um, that was that was uh, a fine rendition. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I will not like to juxtapose. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give up. Is that? I'm done wait, with wait. this. Yeah, are you trying <laughs> to make juxtaposition into a verb? Yeah, juxtapose. I'm trying to juxtapose. Juxta, yeah, right? juxtapose. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to. Okay. What I want to place next to because I cannot say that word. The uh, the the scene that comes right after the song that comes right after, which is sung by sung by Jane and Michael Banks. Um, and you can be Michael. I will be Jane, of course. Okay. Uh, let me uh, have this ready. Hold on. Wanted a nanny for two adorable children. If you want this choice position, have a cheery disposition. Rosy cheeks, no warts. That's the part I put in. Play games, all sorts. You must be kind, you must be witty. Very sweet and fairly pretty. Take us on outings the streets. Sing songs, bring sweets. Never be cross or cruel. Never give us us castor oil or gruel. Love us as a son and daughter. And never smell of barley water. I put that in too. If you won't scold or dominate us, we will never give you cause to hate us. We won't hide your spectacles so you can't see. Put toots in your bed or pepper in your tea. Hurry, nanny. Many thanks. <laughs> Sincerely. <laughs> Jane and Michael, thanks. Ah, uh, you guys are so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, this is not what I expected. Um, but I think all of us listening appreciate the effort you're putting in here. Uh, to you're, I mean, across. there's no way I could put in more effort or try harder. <laughs> Equally, you know, well, well performed. Thank you. I personally. <laughs> I agree. Um, now that you've juxtaposed these uh, advertisements, <laughs> advertisements, as they said in the movie, what what do you have to say about it? So I like I really like the way that these two have very different expectations for their nannies. Right, uh, it really shows the difference between what they think raising a child should be. Right, and I think what's interesting is that the children put forward a like something that is very reasonable in a way right a lot of those things are asking for are like things you want like a kid would definitely ask for but they're also like about something that they're missing from their own lives which is like someone who's treating them as a son or daughter or uh giving them like attention and treats and singing songs and playing games with them right those are all things that they feel like a nanny should do because that's something that they wish they had right if the, if those needs were being fulfilled by someone else, then it wouldn't be in the advertisements, ad, advertisement. <laughs> right, right, right. Versus 
Mr. Banks, who feels that, you know, we just need to fill the the gap that Katie Nana has, is missing, right? She needs to be someone who can give commands, someone who is, um, you know, going to breed or, or mold our breed into the next generation of Banks, right? Uh, to become someone just like me. But I'm not willing to put that work in, or Mr. Banks isn't willing to put that work in. It's it shows just how different their expectations are of this position and what they would need to fulfill that, I guess. That makes sense. It, yeah. And this is one of the parts where um, the, it's hard for me to relate sometimes because it's, uh, you've got a mom. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, we desperately need this nanny so that when I'm at my suffrage appointment like, uh, meetings, then someone can take care of the kids, which not, you know, I think it's actually pretty cool that they included women's suffrage in this movie. Obviously when the movie came out, women already had suffrage, but the uh, movie is set in the 1910s. So I think it's just like women's empowerment is something that's included in this film. Um, I also was like, why doesn't the mom just take care of them? <laughs> What's stopping her? Right. Well, I think that's, I think that's an interesting aspect of this movie, uh, for sure. And I think the movie doesn't explicitly talk about Mrs. Banks as much, but she's definitely culpable in this, right? There's that whole thing where, like, who's going to take care of the children? And she's, like, asking everyone except for herself who's, yeah. who can take care of the children, right? right. So th she's definitely part of this problem and is not giving the, the children the attention or whatever they need that they're missing. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, I, it felt like Mrs. Banks was almost less than like a main character. Like she, mm. it's like the children and Mr. Banks. And then like a step beneath that is Mrs. Banks as far as like, she almost um, it, like is a part of the background with the maids where she's willing to interact with you, but she's not really going to drive any of the action. She is going yeah. to exist in her role um, which, you know, for the time I'm sure was normal for women, especially the 1910s. But, um, it was just bizarre to me that it, it, instead of being the story of like how to bring parents together with their kids, it's more of the story of how to bring a father together with his kids. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's certainly true because Mrs. Banks doesn't seem to have any sort of arc through this movie. Not really. Um, and even though she's definitely part of the problem for sure. Yeah. I did like how the women's suffrage kind of um, came back again, though, because she was able to get um, her little marching thing together at the beginning, which I thought was super fun. C kind of like one of the early introductions of whimsy into this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but then later on, she gets the uh, chimney sweeps to echo the oh, same sentiment. Oh, my God, that's so freaking Which hilarious. was so cool. <laughs> I love how they brought that back. Yes, that was awesome. Okay, I got another quote. Um, this one, I will be Michael and you can be Jane. Unless okay. You, unless you want to switch. No, that's fine. We better keep an eye on this one. She's tricky. She's wonderful. <laughs> I think both of these things are definitely true. It describes Mary Poppins so well, I think. Just that she is so, she is so wonderful. Full of wonder. Um, all, you never know what she's going to do next. And it's, it's fun to see just how, like... Like, she just never really reveals what she can really do, you know? 
and that's part of her charm is that it's like all under wraps and she's also like constantly saying like oh like you guys are being silly like that was nothing you know like oh all that stuff we did like earlier like you guys are just doing it in your imagination like she's putting it all on them right to keep up the myth of herself and she's not perpetuating it any uh, beyond her own actions and your own observations to make you kind of feel like did that really happen and if it could happen could it happen again Right. You know, I feel it, like I feel like if it Mary infuses Pop- the world with magic more than just her. Yeah, I feel like if Mary Poppins is a real, like a real person that you knew in real life, like she would be fantastic and amazing and have this amazing nannying business that's like unrivaled and, and she's mm. highly regarded. But her Instagram account is just her like taking a picture of like her coffee or like I just finished this book and it's like when did you have time to read? You know, and it's like <laughs> she's not even gloating. She's just like look how like normal I am. Uh, despite how amazing she clearly is, you know? Right. It's exactly that. (laughs) Um, Okay, next one. This is from Mary Poppins herself. What an impertinent idea. Me, putting ideas on people's heads? Really? (laughs) I think this is great, especially since, like, this movie kind of incepts this idea of magic into your own head, right? It slowly introduces it and allows you to kind of absorb it yourself and come to the, and reach that conclusion on your own um, in a way that like wouldn't have been there if you hadn't seen the movie. But she doesn't claim credit for any of it, right? She's, she's just showing you what's possible. She's not actually the catalyst, even though it's hard to know if that's true or not. Well, she's... Go ahead. I mean, what I feel like Mary Poppins does, um, she deals in truths where mm. it's not necessarily some sort of ideology she's trying to sell you. It's more of just revealing what's there to you. Where when she says, like, the spoonful of sugar song, she's not saying, like, well, if you sing along, it, it'll be better. You know, it's not necessarily, it's like, the chore still sucks, but it'll get done. Uh, it won't be as bad if you sing. It's like, watch this. And mm. she does exactly what she's talking about, cleaning up. But the way she does it, it's so evident that it's magic and it's fun. And you don't have to explain it. Um, and right. I, and I think that that's, you know, the, the idea. Yeah, it's so the way she does that is that she expresses an idea in such a unique Mary Poppins way. Yes. and But she's claiming not to in a way. Yeah. And, and that, that the idea already exists, right? Right, exactly. And you just had to discover it. But... In fact, she really is doing exactly what she's not claiming to do here. She is that thing that makes you realize she's the, right. you know, she's the uh, the window that you see the world through. Um, okay, I got one more, and this one is uh, as they're going to the bank uh, or walking down the street, uh, talking about Mr. Banks. Uh, Mary Poppins says to the children, "Sometimes a person we love that through no fault of his own can't see past the end of his own nose." And this is certainly true of Mr. Banks. Uh, He kind of comes to this realization, uh, which is pretty amazing, that he has kind of been doing everything wrong. (laughs) Like, he he suddenly realizes, like, he's like, has this, like, oh, oh, no moment where he's like, oh, wow, like, I I thought I was doing the right thing, but it turns out I was mistaken. and I think part of that is is what she says here is that he th- he's so caught up in himself that he doesn't realize the world around him, and the and the, it doesn't really happen. But the implication she says is like he can see these buildings every day or walk through you know London and see all the beauty every day and never notice it for real and never really appreciate it um, like like children can with fresh eyes can, um, and I think that's like you know that's a, a truthful but tragic statement. 
And I think that kind of lends itself to Mr. Banks's relatability in a way that he is kind of lost in his own thoughts and his own world so much that he he almost refuses to see the rest of the world around him and the magic that could exist there. Well, and it's important that it's that she says sometimes it's a person we love, you know, so it's not you don't stop loving them for that, you know, or you don't. Right. Um, yeah. Or you're not loving them in spite of that. It's like it, it is just true, you know, and this is something that's OK um, and something that you can recognize and deal with. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, for our last quote, I've got one. And for this scene, um, I will play the part. Well, you, you will play Mary Poppins and I will okay. play Mary Poppins, um, apparently sentient and, uh, a totally alive umbrella handle. <laughs> so, um, all right, that I'll start it off and then okay. each other line is your line. Okay. Squawk. That's gratitude for you. Didn't even say goodbye. No, they didn't. Look at them. You know they think more of their father than they do of you. That's, how's it, that's as it should be. Well, don't you care? Practically perfect people never permit sentiment to meddle their thinking. Is that so? Well, I'll tell you one thing, Mary Poppins. You don't fool me one bit. Oh, really? Yes, really. I know exactly how you feel. And if you think I'm going to keep my mouth shut... That will be quite enough out of you. Thank you. You want me to do that again? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. That's perfect. Um, So I I just want to bring this up because it was so bizarre. Um, After a movie, such a whimsical and, and weird movie, at the end, it's like, oh, don't, did you forget about my sentient umbrella, though? <laughs> Who says, like, rotten things to me <laughs> and tries to make me doubt myself? <laughs> um, I, I thought it was just interesting. I, I think part of it is to help pull off the Band-Aid of Mary Poppins not being around forever because, obviously, anybody would want her around forever, whether that's, you know, children who are being cared for by her or the horny penguins everybody wants mary poppins to stick around forever but she can't she has to move on so that another family can uh you know experience that and 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 learn their lessons um right so and there's a couple things that are interesting about this yeah um first of all like her i i read this uh article about this movie and they said that like mary poppins is technically like an anti-nanny movie because the idea is like she's kind of a like a, a specialist who comes in to fix a family, right? More so than like a permanent member of the staff. Um, she's like there to set things right or put things in motion in order for them to perpetuate themselves so that she doesn't have to stay there. Um, which is kind of an interesting aspect because you don't, that's normal. That's like the opposite of what a nanny normally does. Like a nanny normally makes themselves indispensable to the family, whereas Mary Poppins intends for the opposite to happen. Um, also, it is kind of breaking a like classic filmmaking rule to sort of suddenly introduce a character in the last five minutes of a movie, <laughs> um, but but I think they've done such a good job of setting up Mary Poppins as this legendary figure that to do this I don't think is necessarily totally wrong because it just shows that hey you spent this whole movie with her but you don't even know the half of it you don't even know some of the stuff that she's done or some of the stuff that she's capable of or some of the places she's been, you know, she's way deeper of a legend than we are even able to get into in this movie. Right. And here's just a hint of that, right? This is the teaser at the end of the movie saying, Hey, there's more here. You just don't, we're not even going to talk about because 
like this is so much deeper than you even realize. This is just one facet only, of it. I can only imagine that Mary Poppins Returns is the movie just like solo that explicitly shows all the stuff where it's like here's where she got the talking umbrella oh this is the carpet store where she got her carpet bag yeah (laughs) this is why she like this is why she loves mirrors hey i'm in hey i'm lynn manuel miranda i'm the real reason mary poppins is magic yeah i taught you how to tap dance mary poppins yeah i made hamilton (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny uh but um yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I mainly wanted to just point out how whimsical this is, but I think you have a good explanation for it. Um, there's so much more to Mary Poppins that we don't even know about. We've just scratched the surface, um, which makes her that much more legendary. You know, you can't exactly. get to know Mary Poppins in two hours and twenty minutes. Sorry, just not enough time. Sorry, come back later. Yeah. All right, Joey. I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. Okay, so I want to talk briefly about the cultural impact of Mary Poppins. Um, it's kind of hard to measure. Obviously, it's such an integral part of our culture. It's permeated many, many different things. Influenced countless artists throughout history, right? Ever since it came out. Um, it's been a huge cultural milestone, a timeless film in every sense of the word. Um, some of the, There are some ways to measure this, I think. Uh, it was. It is Disney's most decorated movie ever. Uh, it was nominated for 13 Academy Awards. It won five, um, which is pretty impressive. Uh, this is, I think, the only movie that Walt Disney himself was ever nominated for an Oscar. He didn't win, but it was for Best Picture as like producer and director of this movie. Um, so that was a uh, yeah. That's pretty amazing. Uh, and no movie from Disney has ever been to match that, despite their constant, you know. Yeah. making of cultural, like uh, critically acclaimed movies. Um, so the same year that this movie came out, which was 1964, uh, was the same year that the Civil Rights Act uh, had, had uh, Title VII officially um, instituted into it, which was a, an employment discrimination based on sex section of the um, uh, of this right or of this act. So... Basically, at this point, it became illegal for people to discriminate against women in the workplace um, or to not hire someone just because they're a woman, uh, which was a huge step in the in a direction. Um, and people kind of claim that Disney is like very conscious and even though they claim not to be very deliberate with their placement of films and was putting this movie, which is showing a prominent female character in a position of some power, um, uh, like making that very explicit and coming out at this time was no accident. Like it was very okay. timely. Um, it was still a few years before something like Roe v. Wade. There was still like quite a few like hurdles to jump before uh, like, and even now you can't really say that true equality has been reached, but before the equality that we kind of enjoy today was achieved. Uh, but this movie like was like, Hey, good job so far. Let's keep going in a way. Right. That was kind of the message that a lot of feminists at the time got from this movie. Okay. Despite kind of the, the ending being a little bit more about traditional values in a way, if I was to hit this movie on one point, it would be that the character of Mrs. Banks kind of gives up on her ideal of being a, like a a suffragette. Um, Like she gives the, the sash to the kids to put on the, on the kite, which I think is supposed to symbolize her like, putting her family before the movement 
which I think is kind of uh, is a good message in general, but it's also like her saying, oh, like this isn't important to me anymore, right? I should just fulfill my role as mother and take care of the children uh, like my nannies have in the past. Is which that, I think is... Really? I kind of got it as like, hey, here's another mention of women's suffrage. Don't forget about women being like, should be equal. I, I think... I think it's up to interpretation. It's really, it's very vague, but I think the implication that a lot of people took away from that is that by giving the sash up to the children, she is giving up on her ideology in a way. Okay. And she's no longer going to participate in a way that would take away from her participating in the family. Well, it definitely... In her traditional, yeah. like, female role. No, no, I could, I could definitely see that because, again, it was, it was one of the main reasons she wasn't available for her kids, so... Right, right. So... Interesting aspect. The, the movie has kind of a feminist like theme to it in a way, and it was and came out during a very pivotal time in in uh, in um, like gender discrimination or gender equality, uh, which is interesting. I think um, definitely contributed a little bit to that. One other thing I want to talk about, which is kind of the movie's uh, technical impact. So. Around this time was when they started experimenting more with like the, the green screen technology. Specifically, it was with blue screens, I think. And they were figuring out. I I know you're familiar with this because you you're actually sitting in front of a green screen right now. You can literally so, see my green screen right behind me. Yeah, you're literally sitting in space right now, <laughs> um, <laughs> from my perspective. But the uh, the this this technology kind of came about as like it was kind of an iterative process, like a lot of these technologies are. Um, basically what they were doing first was they were kind of taking, they were filming stuff and then filming stuff on top of that. And then like cutting out basically the parts that they wanted to cut out. Um, and they got better and better at this with using specific colors. So they said, okay, we're going to replace anything that's this color with a new thing, right? We're going to film over the same film, but we're going to, um, we're going to replace all the color on the film that is a specific color right. with this new film, right? And they had a, a, a specific process of doing that. There was this guy um, who I, I believe won an award for all of the technical stuff in the movie. Um, uh, it was probably, I think it was Peter Ellenshaw. Um, there's three of them actually won the Academy Award for for uh, basically inventing this technique, which they called um, the sodium vapor process. Basically, they used a yellow screen. And the guy actually measured the wavelength of the like the can like of the light that was being emitted or like reflected off of this specific um, uh, sheet uh, by specific lights, and then used that as a method for keying out specific colors to the point where they were able to like put yellow on yellow and were able to key it out because it was such a specific wow. narrow band of of wavelength like he was looking at like okay i can do between 506 or 500 and 550 nanometers like that's that i can do it that narrow and that's like how they were able to get so specific and such good effect with this and he went on to pioneer the green screen um, from this same technique but this this uh, camera and setup that they had was so good that nobody was able to replicate it and then they used the same setup in 40 other films including films like peach dragon um in the future which was heavily used uh like animation and live action at the same time so crazy yeah. it's it's amazing um and this like obviously changed hollywood forever and effects driven films forever um after this and mary poppins is kind of is like both the best and the first 
version of this technique in a way. Yeah, and, and that's so important to recognize what green screen really is because people hear green screen and think that it has to be green. Uh, it doesn't. Like basically, I mean, the real name is for, it's called chroma key because you're choosing one specific color and then replacing that color with whatever you want. Um, it doesn't have to be a different color. It can be anything. So um, like once you recognize that, it, I feel like it's actually a pretty simple concept to understand after that. You're like, oh, okay, that's all it is. Because a lot of people, when they see, because I, you know, I, I have a lot of green screen up in my studio and people will see me on like Google Hangouts and they'll be like, oh, you have green screen up? Change your background. And I'm like, that's not <laughs> how this works. Like I could actually... <laughs> If I had a software, like a, the, what adds to the confusion is a lot of people are using things like Zoom, um, Microsoft Teams lets you do this as well. Other video chat apps will do a green screen type of um, like effect that makes your background disappear no matter what your background is. And that's because they have some sort of algorithm that is able to detect what a person looks like and get rid of everything else. Not necessarily. Yes. So it's a different process. It's not green screen, actually, um, right. which I think adds to the confusion. But um, doing this where you're able to remove such a specific color that you can have that same color, but just a slightly different wavelength appear in front of it is amazing. Because I'm thinking about the right. uh, the chalk drawing scene where there's a lot of bright colors close to yellow uh, in yellow uh, that are still Dick visible. Dick Van Dyke is wearing yellow. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's because he like he knew and like the shadows and stuff like which is like a huge thing when you're doing a green screen like you want to make sure it's a uniform color so you're really messing with the lighting and stuff. Um, he he didn't have to worry about that so much because he knew what the wavelength of the light was coming out of the of the like the lights that he was using and so he was able to say okay I know what I'm looking for specifically and I can just take that out. It's crazy. It's yeah. awesome. So yeah. Very, very cool stuff. Very cool. Um, okay. Well, then I think that's going to wrap up our conversation on Mary Poppins. Are you ready to deliver your rating, Joey? I am. Are you? Yes. Um, but I want you to go first. Okay. I give this movie an endless supply of sugar to be taken one spoonful at a time. Oh, nice. I almost felt like this movie needed medicine to be taken with because this movie is so sweet. Um, ah. it, it's, it is the sugar, you know? Um <laughs> But I gave this movie a partner position in the Dawes, Tomes, Mosley, Grubbs, Fidelity, Fiduciary Bank. Awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. It has earned it. It has earned it. Um, okay. So that's going to do it on Mary Poppins. Joey, what is next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing Animal Crossing. Yes. The video game. That's right. And this is going to be an interesting episode because we're, it's going to have a visual aspect of it. What I'm thinking is we're going to do something a little bit more long form for YouTube and then we'll cut out the parts of it that are audio ready and that'll be a podcast episode. So expect that in your podcast feed or just head on to YouTube to check out the full version uh, where you can see because we're going to be talking, we're going to be walking through our Minecraft towns talking about it. It's going to be Animal Crossing. Yeah, it's going to be Animal Crossing. Um, so um joey do, do we have a phone number anymore we have a phone line until i remember to call them <laughs> so <laughs> because it can't cancel on their website so and you got until uh monday the 18th the end of the day before oh this phone gosh. line shuts down there's no way by the time this comes out it'll be almost out but okay so if there is that's right yeah so if you hear this you could be the one that saves the affable chat phone line. You could line. be the last person. 
Well, I think if, you won't save it at this point. Oh, I think if people, <laughs> well, either way, if you can hear this, try dialing 833-600-2428. Yes, it's 833-600-CHAT. Phone lines are open until tomorrow. That's right. Until they're not. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on YouTube as well um, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, and wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really helps us grow. Um, or if it's on YouTube, smash like. Uh, you can reach us on social media. We've got Twitter. We've got Instagram. We've got uh, TikTok. Uh, they're all the same at Affable Chat. They're all the same handle. Um, or you can send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. And as we've already mentioned, podcasts are going up on YouTube. We also have YouTube videos that are unrelated to our podcast uh, that you can check out as well. Just search Affable Chat at www.youtube.com. <laughs> Wait, how many W's? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's going to do it uh, for this episode on Mary Poppins, uh, a classic, absolute classic. Um, for Apple Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.